Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the A to Z of David Bowie. I'm Mark Riley, and that colourful character is Rob Hughes. As you'll be aware, the A to Z of David Bowie is free to download. <laughs> Lunacy. But if you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things, and for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Why? Right. So now you're thinking, $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive materials material delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right, Mark. Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Materials such as interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends, there'll be regular film Bowie quizzes, Bowie guitar tutorials, unreleased archive written material, competitions, and perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Nock, and Jason Reed. Visiting in various Bowie places of interest and much more besides all this for just $5 a month so if you can't resist simply go to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cheap things or one word and join up there's also a website bowie at cheapthings.com. book early S is for star maker stylist or She-Devil. Oh, I know where you're going here, Mark. You're talking about Angie Bowie, aren't you? Yeah. So, I mean, what we're going to do really is we're going to look at the uh, the life and the influence of uh, Angie Bowie on David Bowie's career, and then people can decide exactly how valuable she was. Because it's weird, isn't it? If you, mm. you talk to different people, uh, hopefully the ones in the know about Bowie will recognise the fact that she was hugely important. Yeah. But on the periphery, because she was so loud and brash, and, you know, there are certain uh, um, escapades that she got involved with, not least... Uh, Celebrity Big Brother, which yeah. ended in tragedy. Yeah. Um, uh, people see her as a, a kind of a, a hanger-on, a kind of, you know, a bit of a leech, a bit of a parasite. Yeah. But, you know, we've got our opinion on that, uh, as well, most people who like Bowie an awful lot. Uh, but we'll look at her life and her career, and then uh, everybody can make their own mind up at, yeah. the, at the end, can't they, mate? And I think that reputation, you know, for better or worse, kind of suffered a bit when, uh, you know, obviously they got divorced in 1980, didn't they, she and Bowie? And, you know, I think sort of, she was sort of edited out of her history in a lot, in a lot of ways, wasn't she? So we're trying to set the record straight here. And I think it was also a, a very painful and difficult uh, episode for for David Bowie, yeah. probably for, for Angie Bowie as well. Mm. So uh, kind of, she doesn't really get much focus of attention in the Bowie camp, if you like. Yeah. That's, that's one way of putting it. You know, I don't I don't think that her uh, presence was uh, always welcome. No, but I mean, there's no doubt about it. She did shape his career. But anyway, let's get to it, shall we? So Angela Bowie, born Mary Angela Barnett, September the 25th, 1949, an American 
American model, actress and journalist who, along with ex-husband David Bowie, influenced the glam rock culture and fashion of the 70s, in part by demonstrating openness about personal bisexuality. She was married to Bowie, with whom she assisted conceptualising the costumes for the Ziggy Stardust stage show from 1970 until their divorce in 1980. The couple had one child, film director Duncan Jones. So, Angie Bowie was born an American citizen in Cyprus to Colonel George Barnett, a United States Army veteran, and his wife Helena, a naturalised Canadian. Her dad was a mining engineer and ran a mill for Cyprus Mines Corporation. She's got one brother who's 16 years older than herself, Both her parents died in 1984. She is of English and Polish descent. She was brought up as a Roman Catholic. However, she has identified herself as a Cypriot, writing in 2000, I'm a Cypriot by disposition. She said, I don't have a passport or Cypriot nationality, but my heart is Cypriot. Not Greek or Turkish Cypriot, just Cypriot. Right, I've got it, Cypriot. (laughs) Educated in Cyprus uh, and in Switzerland and the UK at Kingston Polytechnic, she briefly attended Connecticut College until she was expelled after an affair with somebody of the same sex, an event mentioned in her 1981 autobiography, Free Spirit. So, uh, a career. During the 1970s, Angie Bowie occasionally appeared as a guest on television talk shows. She appeared on The Tonight Show, hosted by Johnny Carson on the 16th of November 1973. She also performed on the Mike Douglas show in early 1975. She auditioned for the leading role in what dates showed her being the ABC TV TV film Wonder Woman, which aired on uh, March the 12th, 1974, and starred Kathy Lee Crosby, not as often reported for the later television series Wonder Woman, in which the title role was played by Linda Carter, Mark. Couldn't have been anybody else other than no, Linda Carter, in no. my mind. Newsweek hypothesised in their February 11th, 1974 issue that she lost the part because of her refusal to wear a bra. So, uh, <laughs> that's strange. I mean, Wonder Woman, she's not got like a, a, a cross your heart No, she hasn't, has she? Girdle job, has I mean, yeah, a bit, a bit odd, that. But anyway, later in 1975, she bought the television rights to Marvel Comics character Black Widow and Daredevil. This is amazing. Mm. Uh, hoping to develop and sell a series featuring the two heroes. She planned to play Black Widow, which to some will be quite ironic, yeah. uh, with actor Ben Carruthers as Daredevil. The series failed to secure a studio deal, and it never went beyond the development stage. So talk about ahead of your time here. Yeah, okay. I mean, I wonder if she still owns it, because obviously oh. now just Stan Lee has passed away. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you Oh, so many people were upset when Stan Lee went, and he went in his mid nineties. He's ninety five, he? wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, he ate good innings and all of those other cliches that come out there. But everybody and the mother were just coming out of the woodwork and saying, "Oh God, just formative for me." Yeah. And I played oh, yeah. the theme from Spider Man on the Six Music program, and I did spend oh. all my time with uh, mentioned in a previous episode, Steve Hanley, mm. watching those early Spider Man series. I love those. You know what? One of the reasons I love New York so much is because I think it worked it out. It's such a massive part of my childhood. We look at the opening credits of Spider-Man. He's doing a web from the top of the Chrysler building, isn't he? Right. And all those buildings are so iconic for me and they've just lodged in my brain from such an early age. And I devoured all those Marvel comics and I, I even had all the Spider-Man ones apart from issue one where you got a free Spider-Man mask. Really? And uh, when I was about, oh, you know, some point in the mid-80s, they were clutching up the place and my dad just took them all to the tip. Oh, man. They no, are worth that, a small fortune. That is just... Uh, oh, Along with Iron Man and Daredevil and Fantastic Four and all that stuff. In fact, there's a, there's a good photograph of Angie Bowie as Black Widow, isn't there? With whoever played Ben Carruthers as Daredevil. The black and white shots of them. Yeah. There's, and there's a great interview, incidentally, on YouTube with uh, Mark Boland interviewing Stan Lee. I yeah, think, that's And right. talking about Angie Bowie and all that stuff. But the thing is, like, if she still owns that, I mean, cool, it's, it's hey? worth looking into again. I mean, maybe yeah. she sold the rights on, but anyway... 
Anyway, so she appeared as herself in the D.A. Pennebacher concert film Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars in 73 and also in Glitter Goddess of Sunset Strip in 91. She also has been credited acting roles in at least four films, Eat the Rich in 1987, Demented, Dead Rockstar 2002 as a bartender and La Funcionaria Assassina, also known as we know Mark, the Slayer Bureaucrat in 2009. I'm glad you were given that bit, mate. Mm. On the 5th of January 2016, Angie Bowie appeared on the 17th series of Celebrity Big Brother. On the 10th of January, she was informed off-screen of the death of her former husband, David Bowie. Although she initially chose to stay in the house, on January the 19th, she voluntarily decided to leave, in part on medical grounds. This is a strange episode, wasn't it? I didn't mm. watch Big Brother this episode. I knew she was on it, so aware that she was on it, and so strange how the fates collided you know, when Bowie died and she was in there. So the producers chose to tell her about Bowie's death off-air, and then uh, at the end of you know the Tuesday night show, I think it was, Said to her, look, if you want to leave, we understand. But she said, no, you know, I'd rather just stay here. I don't think she really wanted to be hounded by the press at that point. So she felt it was a bit of kind of, you know, like a sanctuary almost, staying right. in the Big Brother house, which is weird, you know, being on live TV. So she stayed. The, the kind of farcical element of this is uh, there was somebody in there called Tiffany. It's from a, a reality show uh, called New York, right. I believe. So she misheard Angie as she confided the news. So Angie says, David's dead. And so the young woman assumed that she actually meant David Guest, who was also in Big Brother and was asleep at the time. So she went running off shrieking, you know, saying, oh, David's dead, David's dead. And everybody went into David Guest's room to check his pulse. And he obviously he didn't have a clue what was going on. And in the meantime, Angie Bowie was just let, left there sobbing. It's the strangest, strangest episode. I've never seen um, Big Brother or Celebrity Big Brother. That's not a disclaimer. Have you not seen it at I've all? I've just, just okay. never watched it. It's never interested me, to be honest. And that's not me, me looking down my nose. No, it, just hasn't, it just hasn't yeah. grabbed me. But um, that is just kind of like, almost like the Truman Show element of it, isn't yeah. it? Whereby something so ginormous, a seismic in the, in the world of people who love music, yeah. whether you love Bowie or not, it's a seismic. It's like Elvis dying or John Lennon or, you know, any of those things. Um, but to be in there and being watched by millions and yeah. millions of people yeah. as it happens to you, it's pretty perverse, isn't it? And it's, it it's kind of like, you know, you put your head in the lion's mouth, but you, you don't see that coming. No. And, and nobody really saw David Bowie his death coming no. at that point in time, did they? Also, the network did come in for a lot of criticism, didn't they? Because just for sort of displaying somebody's grief so publicly, you know? Well, the same sort of thing as the Truman Show in real life. Yeah, like I say, I mean, it is what it is. You yeah. watch it, you want to see that kind of thing, I presume. I mean, not, not looking at the, hopefully seeing somebody's ex-husband pass yeah. away, but, you know, people dealing with uh, with emotional problems, with all kinds of traumas, because that's what I understand the programme to be about. Yeah, draws people in. Anyway, to the writing then. So, Andrew Bowie has written two autobiographies, Free Spirit in 1981, including samples of her poetry, as well as the bestseller Backstage Passes Life on the Wild Side with David Bowie, published in 1993 and updated in 2000. It detailed her alleged drug fueled and openly bisexual lifestyle with her ex-husband and many other well-known musicians. In 2014, she produced a large book about sex called Pop Sex, as well as a book about cats entitled catastrophe (laughs) (laughs) have you got a copy of catastrophe no i haven't got catastrophe (laughs) okay and uh as regards music a cd maxi single the world is changing appeared in 1996 on the new york label warlock records the cover featured a logo of the bowie name clearly modeled on the one seen on their excellent let's dance releases an album moon goddess was released in 2002 on the subterranean's record label the electric label okay she sang with subterranean's vocalist jude rawlins on a 
a version of the Rolling Stones song, The Last Time, subsequently included on the 2003 Subterraneans album, Orly Flight. She's currently working on a second album, Fancy Footwork. Wasn't that the name of Nick Kent's band as well, Subterraneans? Yeah, it was, yeah. Different Pink one, Flamingo, was it called, or something? Yeah. Angie Bowie has reinvented herself as a journalist specialising in gender issues. She served as a roving reporter for the transgender lifestyle bi-monthly Frock magazine, and in 2002 she wrote a Pocket Essentials book called Bisexuality. Okay, so that's a career kind of in a nutshell, but we're going to go into detail now. She met musician David Bowie in London in 1969 at the age of 19. According to her, they met through their mutual friendship with record executive Dr. Calvin Mark Lee. The couple married one year later on the 19th of March 1970 at Bromley Register Office in Beckenham Lane, London. On the 30th of May 1971, their son was born, Duncan Zowie, Zowie, Haywood Jones. He later preferred to be known as Joe or Joey, but has since reverted to the name Duncan Jones. So we need to say that we are going to be looking at the career of, uh, of Duncan. Yeah. Uh, it will be under Z, which is yeah. the way that we're, we're choosing to approach it. That's right, yeah. So after nine years of marriage, Angie and David Bowie separated, finally divorced on the 8th of February 1980 in Switzerland. During her marriage, she often accompanied him on his international concert tours. He wrote the song The Prettiest Star about her, joining a backstage sequence in the concert film Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. David calls Angie by the name Star. I think you probably called her by some other names mm. a little bit later on. It was probably mutual as well. Pretty fiery uh, romance, you'd have to say. Yeah. Following her divorce, Angie Bowie had a long-term relationship with punk musician Drew Blood, uh, born uh, Andrew Lipka. They had a daughter, Stacia. She later lived in Tucson, Arizona. As of at the end of 2010, she was estranged from her son Duncan, saying in an interview that year that a reconciliation was unlikely and also mentioning the estrangement during her 2016 appearance on Celebrity Big Brother. In a 2018 interview for Mark Moran's WTF podcast, Jones reiterated they'd never reconciled, saying she was a corrosive person. Okay, so uh, Rolling Stone song Angie. I always thought this was about Angie Bowie. I did too. Uh, Angie Bowie has long claimed that she inspired the Rolling Stones' hit song Angie for their 1973 album Goat's Head Soup. However, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards have consistently denied this in 1993 in the liner notes for the Stones' compilation album Jump Back. Richards said the title was inspired by his newborn daughter, Dandelion Angela. Later in 2010, the memoir Life, he said that he'd chosen the name at random when writing the song and that it was not about any particular person. According to NME, the lyrics of the song were inspired by Jagger's breakup with Marianne Faithful. Oh, fancy that. Uh, two fictional portrayals then with Angie Bowie. The fictional character of Mandy, portrayed by Tony Collette in the movie Velvet Goldmine, was based upon Angie Bowie. So we should probably go into a bit of detail now, shouldn't we? Yeah, for the uh, Bowie relation. So mm. the 14th of December, 1968, Turquoise, Bowie, Hermione and Hutch play at the Roundhouse in Chalk Farm in London, headlining with the Liverpool art popsters The Scaffold, Pete Brown's battered ornaments, Terry Reid, who, as we know, turned down the job in Led Zeppelin, yeah. and several others, including Bowie's mates, Junior's Eyes. This was Bowie's first gig at a major London venue, but most importantly, it was the night he first met Mary Angela Barnett, who was in the company of Bowie's pal, Calvin Markley. But not for long, though, Mark, this is a quote from Angie from 1981. Seeing David for the first time on stage at London's Roundhouse, my sympathies spilled over for Calvin. Who could not lose their heart to someone with so much charisma? She continued, a lean, blonde, enigmatic figure in a pastel striped sweater and mustard-coloured sailor's flares and a voice so compelling that no one could turn her head. David captivated every single member of the audience. The exhilaration of that night left me reeling. It was my first rock and roll concert. So the two met later that night, but as we know, Bowie was head over heels at that point with bandmate Hermione Farthingale, so they went their separate ways. Didn't meet up again until six months later. 
So that would be the 9th of April 1969. The doomed Carlin Mark Lee takes Andy to the debut show by future Bowie collaborator Robert Fripp's band King Crimson. There they meet Bowie, who is taken by the confident 19-year-old Angie. Taken where? Only joking. <laughs> uh, Angie, David asked me if I could jive, so I replied, certainly. So we got up and we started to dance. It was a fantastic night, which actually ended up in Tony Visconti's flat in Lexham Gardens. What's striking about that is they were jiving to King Crimson. What they were playing? Not easy. No. By the way, Hermione had left by this point and Bowie was living off and on with Mary Finnegan. The next day, Bowie invites Angie back to uh, Finnegan's apartment, who was quick to recognise that the two were more than just drinking buddies. She knew David had had company on that day because the flat wasn't the usual tip that he would be happy to live in. Somebody else had been there, so two and two together, they've tied it up. Oh, no! So despite Angie becoming part of a three-way love tryst, Finnegan actually grew to like Angie. Around this time, Angie worked as a telephonist in a living job at the Nomad Travel Club in Sussex Gardens, where Bowie would occasionally stay. She then went on to share a gaff with a DJ Bowie had introduced her to, namely Bomber Bob Harris. Hey, he does get around, Bob, doesn't he? do. He? In all this. 20th of June now, 1969, Angie attends the recording session at Trident for Space Oddity. 5th of August, David's father dies. As we know, he was inconsolable at this. Uh, the shoulder to cry on belonged to Angie. Five days later, David and Angie move into Haddon Hall together. They invite Tony Visconti and his then-girlfriend, Liz Hartley, to join them. Visconti said they had one aim together, to make David a star. Okay, well, as we know, job done. So this is really the first acknowledgement of Angie perhaps being the kind of person who could help Bowie achieve his goal. So even the couple who lived in the basement, which was Sue and Tony Frost, previously yeah. mentioned, eventually become part of the Bowie star-making machine. 16th of August, 1969. Okay, still reeling from the death of his father, and not really in the best frame of mind, Bowie saw out the now legendary Free Festival in Beckenham at the Croydon Road Recreation Ground. Angie played a part that day working the hamburger stand with the hamburgers being being cooked, I didn't know this detail, Mark, in a wheelbarrow, and it's a new one, so it's not like old reconditioned Lark. Crucially, yes. So it's well documented that David and Angie enjoyed a polyamorous relationship, an open relationship, if you like, a setup that apparently set chins wagging. Uh, not that I want to gossip. Now, I think we're going to be getting a bit of a, a reputation here, Bob, because uh, there's a, a guy called David Manctolo, who oh, uh, yes. David Manctolo Art is on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very talented, mad on Bowie. And he very kindly, uh, without our invitation, but just uh, off his own bat, uh, did a A to Z of David Bowie. Uh, it, well, he just did a little kind of mast for it. Didn't yes, he? he did, yeah. Uh, but it wasn't me and you in the picture. Who no. was it? Well, it was uh, Les Dawson and Roy Barraclough, wasn't it? Sissy and Ada. Yeah, that's right. Who are uh, best known for being a couple of old gossips. Yeah, I don't know what he's trying to say by that. But I do. You know what? Talking about polyamorous, Mark, I Go see on. that look on your face. Uh, did you watch uh, the uh, Louis Theroux recent documentary about that set in um, Portland? Well, that was an eye-opener, for sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> an eye-opener. <laughs> I'll sure, tell you later. I'm, yeah, I'm sure it was, mate. No, I didn't see it. No, I, I don't watch stuff like that. Oh, one. stop it. Anyway, let's move on to Christmas Day, 1969. Angie is in Cyprus with their folks. David is with his mum in Beckenham and David plays a new song written for her down the phone. How romantic, the prettiest star. And then, of course, he proposes. They both appear on the cover of the Fab 208 magazine, Carving Up a Turkey. They do. Around this time, Angie regularly helps David at the Beckenham Arts Lab. David and Angie famously got married on the 20th of March 1970, as mentioned. Yeah, the witnesses are Claire Shenstone and drummer John Cambridge, who are met on the steps of Bromley Register Office by David's uninvited mother. Oh, no! Oh! During the 15-minute ceremony, when Cambridge makes a move to sign the register, he's intercepted by... David's mother, Peggy Jones, who signs in his place. Instead of wedding rings, they are Peruvian bangles. Tony Visconti, meanwhile, can't attend because he's busy producing an album by The Straubs. 
after the ceremony, they go off to the Swan and Mitre pub to get legless, and it's all back to Haddon Hall for a great big party. Now, it has been suggested, as you know, Bob, that the marriage was one of convenience. Yes. The legality of it allowing Angie to stay in the UK, but it worked the other way too, with Bowie being able to travel to America with greater ease. Of course. So, two important signs of things to come in the April of 1970. Okay, firstly, Angie insists Bowie sack John Cambridge from the hype. And also, Angie helps David draft up a letter to manager Ken Pitt, who wasn't overly keen on Angie by the look of it, mm. relieving him of his services. So she's becoming involved in, yeah. in, in the unit, isn't she? Yeah, she's definitely becoming a driving force in steering Bowie towards stardom, where you have to wonder if you didn't secretly fancy yourself as Bowie's manager at that time, which was an unusual step, you know, for women at that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were, I'm trying to think of other women around that time who'd been steering a career, and I really couldn't come up with one. I'm sure there is one, but I really can't. They wouldn't spring to mind. We came up with Sharon Osborne didn't we because she I mean she kind of saved Ozzy Osbourne's yeah, career and dec- life but, yeah. it was, but that was later yeah. so yeah I, I can't think of anything either Bob but yeah Monday the 21st of September 1970 from Any Day Now Kevin Kant's brilliant book oh, yeah. Angie has already tried to take matters into her own hands as early as June she had attempted to book the Brighton Dome for a performance by David on the 3rd of August this hadn't come off so she turns her energies into David reappearing at the Purcell room where he had successfully showcased his act the previous year Calvin Martley is asked by Angie to oversee arrangements. Although these come to nothing, Lee, Angie and David embark on developing concepts for David's next project, which Angie types up into a quasi-manifesto. This proposes that David's next band should be called Imagination. Uh, from what I can gather, that Angie also wrote into the manifesto, Angela doesn't like the guitarist, which of course refers to Mick Ronson, who <laughs> she'd had a few words with, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's great that I'm writing it in the third person as well. Angela does not like the guitarist. I wonder why, can you imagine what Mick Ronson's <laughs> in his whole tones? Uh, around this time, Angie becomes pregnant, carrying Duncan. Moving on to 30th of May 1971, Duncan is born. An early indication of Angie's influence on Bowie's dress sense was when he wore her blue cloak to the Glastonbury Festival in the June of 1971. So we're moving on now to... 8th of January 1972, Bowie's 25th birthday. Bowie unveils his proto-Ziggy look at a party at Haddon Hall, including a yet-fully-realised Ziggy cut transformed from the flowing locks of Hunky Dory to an almost modish cut, which had been carried out by the hairdresser Susie Fussy, been introduced to Bowie by Angie Bowie. There you go. It also has been said that it was Angie who spotted the famous copy of Vogue with the topless female model on the cover who was sporting a heart on her neck and as a haircut that Angie suggested Bowie adopt. Uh, this was pretty much the Ziggy cut, which again was executed brilliantly by Susie Fussy forward slash Ronson. Mm. Though, in backstage passes, she actually said it was Bowie who found the photo in Vogue, so she should know, really, yeah. I would imagine. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The A to Z of David Bowie with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes. Most of the research, by the way, for this episode has come from Kevin Can's book, Any Day Now, which is just definitive in it. So thanks so much for that, Kevin. As we're now going to read a long passage from his book about Angie's role in David's life, which is pretty much perfect as usual and very thorough and balanced, it has to be said. It was Angela who encouraged David and the rest of the band to dress up for the first time, says drummer John Cambridge in 1991. She was the outrageous one back then. It was Angela who got all that together. She was amazing. She remained on good terms with David's guitar cohort Mick Ronson right up until his death in 1993. In 1991, he pinpointed her talents and importance to David's career. Angela was responsible for a lot of the things that went on and she was responsible for getting the clothing together, he said. She was always into the way things looked. She put all of her effort into David. She was 100% David all the time. And that's from Mick Ronson, who Angela didn't like. Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) yeah. Since the breakdown of their marriage in 1977, her musical achievements have failed to match David's. In the early 80s, she performed her own poems, backed by bassist Mick Kahn, formerly of post-punk group Japan, appearing on the BBC TV rock show The Old Grey Whistle Test, which was presented for many years by her former housemate, Bob Harris. Oh, yeah. By 1985, she released the single Crying in the Dark, produced and written by New York guitarist Chico Ray, and also made a number of one-off appearances with her own band, Ronson made an appearance with them at London's Hippodrome Club on Valentine's Day in 1986. Writing and lecturing, particularly on the subject of bisexuality, has been Angie's most consistent activity. She has appeared in a couple of films and also featured in a 1992 musical review called Straight From The Heart in Atlanta, Georgia. So more from Mick Ronson. I love Angie, said Ronson in 1991. She gets a little crazy. She's almost too enthusiastic about everything, but she's got a very good heart. David and Angie were formally divorced on the 8th of February 1980. They had been married just a month short of 10 years. A daughter, Stacia, was born to her and punk singer Drew Blood uh, later that year. In 2002, Angie released the album Moon Goddess on a British independent label. More recently, has been working on a follow-up as well as preparing a book on sexuality, fashion and music. These days, she's based in the US. Her energy was fearsome and her ideas ranged from the brilliant to crazy, said former main man vice president Tony Zanetta in 1987. It was apparent that she was pushing David, pushing him further than she had dared to go before. She wanted him to be brilliant and dazzling. It was the only way she seemed to have to display her own brilliance. That's really interesting, isn't it, that she's doing it almost through somebody else, you know? She couldn't really do it for herself, so this was a way of transferring that. I think one of the overriding senses that you get from this is that deep down, she's she's a good person. Mm. She's got a good heart. People like her. Obviously, David's relationship with her. If you look at it, I mean, it it was an open relationship anyway, which can for some be problematic. Yes, right for those involved. Um, But that's what they that's what they were into, and they got on with it. But the bottom line is that they really did fall out, and of course, having Duncan as well just uh, left it more uh, awkward because she did leave uh, Duncan in the uh, possession of David Bowie, didn't she? Yeah, she did. 
But, you know, I think really, as you say, you know, she had a good heart. She seemed to have had a good heart and also had the best intentions, I think. But it's just personality wise, I think she rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. By the same token, perhaps it needed that to get Bowie off the ground in the first place. Yeah, I mean, how much of the Ziggy character and that, that swagger and stance that Bowie had came from, from Andy pushing him? Because she was a, a much more ebullient and kind of vibrant character than Davy by the look of it. Everybody loved Bowie, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, I mean, and most people who fell in love with him, male and female, it, it, it appears from doing this podcast that they mm. fell in love with him mm. but uh, but she was just this brash kind of and like I said confident 19 year old when yeah. he met her yeah. and that's what that's what drew him in some of that must have rubbed off on David and given him that kind of the, the chops really yeah. to go out and be Ziggy Stardust and be this amazing character hiding behind the, the, the facade of this character Ziggy Stardust yeah I think at that point in Bowie's life she was exactly what he needed it was perfect compliment the yin to his yang as you say you know he's fairly kind of introvert and suddenly this sort of brash teenage American comes along just exactly what he needed just to give him that little push you know and also when you see uh, getting out of the limo at the uh, Ziggy farewell I mean you can tell she's absolutely loving it and, yeah, and, yeah. and neither of them could have expected it to go exactly in the direction that it went and, and Bowie ending up or Ziggy ending up mm. as this just huge huge star that was just sweeping the nation they, they must have been like gobsmacked but Bowie was in the thick of it having to deal with it mm. and, and all of the demons that were growing within him and the, the kind of relationship with the band whilst Andy was swanning about probably yeah. you know and enjoying it and not really having the same pressures that Bowie had um, so it was you know the, the Ziggy Stardust, a fatalistic story of Ziggy Stardust. It did come true. Yeah. But Angie was just rode along on the crest of a wave, didn't she, really? You know what, Mark? I was lucky enough to interview Angie Bowie in 2000... Well, I've got it here. Uh, 15th of March, 2009. So she was living in... Oh, I wish I'd written down. <laughs> I remember being amazed by it. She was, I thought she was living in Austin, Texas, but I think she was living in Tucson, Arizona at the she time. She was living in Tucson, yeah, Arizona at yeah, some point, wasn't she? She was. So, uh, And she was pretty sure at that point, she was difficult to get hold of. I still can't quite remember how I got hold of her, but I managed to get a number for her off the internet somewhere. And she was, uh, as far as I remember, co-owning a shop with another guy. And I have an image of me, I think it was a pet shop of some kind. Now, she did do a book on cats, so that possibly does, uh, you know, Right. Sort of chime with that, but Bizarre. she was running a store anyway in Tucson, Arizona, and she was very, very suspicious of me when I called up because obviously I've cold called. So, yeah, maybe it was like midnight over here and, uh, you know, the time difference and everything. So it'd be afternoon over there. And she was really suspicious. She might have even put the phone down on me. I can't remember. And I had to really, really try and sweet talk my best. I mean, all I wanted to do, I was doing a piece for Uncut magazine on the making of Starman. So, uh, and it all tied into Bowie's sort of big liftoff moment, uh, you know, with Mick Rock taking the picture in Oxford uh, Theatre and all the rest of it. So I had uh, Woody lined up as an interviewee and also Mick Rock. Um, maybe somebody else, I can't think who the other person was. It certainly wasn't Trevor Boulder. And then Angie, just because that was, you know, what they'd all been sort of uh, working towards, you know, Bowie's great fame moment. So I want to talk about that and the build up to it. Well, but you know, you've just said that you're not sure what she was doing, but when she picked the phone up, she didn't go, Hello, perfect pussies, can I help you? <laughs> I wish she had, that would have been really sorted. <laughs> it would have been helpful, the, it, it? would have been, but she Angie. didn't. She just had a bit of a go at me. And then, do you know what, I think either after a while or maybe when I phoned back, she did say, oh, look, can you phone back in half an hour? And, did, and she was so, so apologetic and, and just so sweet and so happy to talk. That was a great thing. Well, there you go. So uh, that kind of uh, bears out what we said before, doesn't it, really? Yeah, OK. So obviously it was... It 
it was slanted towards Starman, but I really want to find out the rest of everything else around that, really, you know, the biggest story of how it all happened. So uh, she said she said this, she said, uh, David would be writing all the time around the house at Haddon Hall. Lionel Bart came over one night for a party when we listened to the mixes of the Ziggy album. Everybody thought it was bloody marvellous. I like Starman because I like what David did in those days. It was very melodious and gave the opportunity to produce into a big song. I kind of expect a lot. So yeah, it measured up to my standards as much as a pop song could do. And then we got on to talking about uh, how the spiders looked. Okay, we can just go back to yeah. Starman because uh, it has been mentioned these uh, these Starman over the rainbow, which is mm. a bootleg which I've got. Yeah, uh, but it, it was the effort um, to make a hit single for the album, wasn't it? it was, yeah, it was an afterthought, yes. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it is a hook in it. There's a Starman yeah. uh, somewhere over yeah. the rainbow. I'm just throwing that in there, uh, apropos nothing really, but it just came to my mind about about that. You know, you no, know, it, it's important. It, yeah, it, it was ma- it was made and designed to be a hit record to break Bowie and yeah, uh, yeah Bob's your uncle uh, but anyway yeah so on the spider's look she said I hired Freddie Baretti to design the spider's clothes so she hired Freddie Baretti yeah okay uh, and David designed the bomber jackets and the tight fitting pants with the lace up boots I bought a lot of clothes for myself but kind of laid them out in a way that if David nicked them and wore them it might not be a bad idea I love that you know it kind of hinted uh, but what I designed for stage looked too much like something by a home seamstress it was embarrassing before the band got successful we were in this before you break kind of mode and because we'd been going to the gay club El Sombrero and because Freddie worked for the Greek tailor called uh, Andreas I brought Freddie and his girlfriend Daniela which was Daniela Palmer wasn't it uh, down to Haddon Hall David and Freddie then got together and they designed those outfits for the whole Ziggy Stardust thing uh, and then we were talking about uh, Starman itself as Bowie's big liftoff moment and just the kind of trials they went through to get there he said, uh, you've no idea how much trouble we had getting exposure before that. We couldn't get a bloody look in until the BBC began to understand the value of publishing and owning the tapes. Because David wrote his own songs, then BBC Two got us to do these different shows. And I remember thinking, this is union scale. This is a real pittance. And we had no choice because to get any airplay at all, we had to go along with all their bullshit. Did everything change with Ziggy Stardust? No, it was a slog uphill, constantly. It was a total struggle. People didn't want us or know what we were. Everything took so much effort. A lot of it was David's drive, but he couldn't do that every waking hour of the day. That's another fallacy. If he wasn't ambitious every waking moment of his life, then I didn't blame him. She also said, When we started, the big people were Georgie Best, Michael Caine and Sean Connery. We were up against Antonioni's blow-up, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. They were the trendsetters and we were knocking our heads against the wall. David had been knocking his head against the wall as a folk singer. Then he decided he needed a band. The band was another way of him getting away from early manager Ken Pitt, who wanted him to be a solo artist. Yeah, and then she carries on. When we got Tony DeFries, we were then able to go up to Hull, hire a band and start thinking about what we were going to do. I had arranged with David to buy a Bedford van for our roadie, Roger Fry, and Roger had been the Rats roadie in Hull. They made a great job of Hunky Dory, but with Ziggy Stardust, that's when the band came together in such a way that everyone had their chops down, and Mick Ronson started to emerge as this amazing guitarist. And David started to feel very comfortable at home. The band would come over, and they'd go down into the basement to rehearse. Tony Visconti was a carpenter, so they built a rehearsal studio down there. They more or less lived there. It was a whole different experience for him. 
And finally, we weren't messing about. We had no idea how it was going to turn out, but we were very bold. David really was very brave. He was so very brave and sweet and funny and very easy to get along with. All of that stuff in the first four or five years was just a ball. It went like a knife through butter. That's great. Isn't it? Sweet. Talking of butter, that just brings me back to uh, Woody and Mancy's quote in his book, didn't he, about Angie not being the best cook in the world. Yeah, yeah well, he talks about the spiders, didn't he? And he said that uh, what they would do is they would all throw money into the pot. He said then Angie would go out and buy some food, bring it back and burn it. It's just, uh, it's just one of the best passages in the book. Just you, this uh, kind of domestic life that they live in at Haddon Hall with all of them sat there. And like he was saying there, uh, where's the potatoes? And say there are no potatoes. You know, just buying like hummus and like bohemian stuff just to, oh, you know, that. to get a, get a bit of a thrill out and then burning everything and but no spuds. So then I asked her, did you feel Bowie would never make it? Uh, and she went, no, never. I had ulcers at the age of 19 from it all. It wasn't a question of David not thinking he'd be a star. It was a question of getting up early enough to get a jump on all the bastards who were too lazy and who drank. So I was always two steps ahead of everybody else. And then I asked, I mean, I know it's a very basic question, this, but, you know, regarding that time, do you have fond memories of all that time? Well, this is a stuff, Bob, isn't it? I suppose I do, as long as I think about the first five or six years and I don't have to remember the part where I got so very disappointed and it just became such a mess. It was a hard time after that. I knew before we got married because he told me that David wasn't in love with me. We got along very well so that it almost appeared we were in love with each other. But the fact of the matter was that he was never in love with me. So that's it for this episode of the A to Z of David Bowie. But once again, before you go... If you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things. And for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Why, so now you're thinking $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive material delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right. Mark, Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Materials such as interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends, there'll be regular film Bowie quizzes, Bowie guitar tutorials, unreleased archive written material, competitions, and perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Knock, and Jason Reed visiting various Bowie places of interest, and much more besides. All this for just $5 a month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website, bowiecheapthings.com. Book early. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.